Thank you for that, and thank you for being here tonight in your place. We had great Sunday morning, and uh, thank you for getting us off to a great start. And uh, we're looking forward to it as we look at our theme on Sunday mornings over the next few weeks. I do want to share a thought with you this, this evening out of uh, Acts chapter 9. And uh, as Joseph mentioned, we've been talking a little bit, just really we talk a lot about it, but as we've started the year, about the gospel and about uh, salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we understand that that is the, the mission of the church. And it's what we are supposed to be doing. And really, to be honest with you, a church that's not involved with that is really not fulfilling their purpose. It, it's, it's, they can be teaching the Bible, and they're supposed to. They can be praising the Lord, and they are supposed to. But, but they're, they're being inactive in their duty. I guess that would be the way to put it. And uh, we believe in getting the gospel out. And I, for one, am thankful that the gospel got to me. And um, I, I, you know, I remember um, early on, I visited Gethsemane before I, was, before I actually got saved. I visited there a couple times with Pastor Esposito. Uh, he had taken me there a couple times before I went on an Easter Sunday. And I remember one time we were, I was at home in our apartment, and it was a Thursday night, and that was their visitation night. And I remember I saw them coming up to my apartment, and I'm like, man, what do you do? Well, you do what anybody would do. I closed the blinds, I turned off the light, and I, I stood there, and uh, I heard them knocking, and I'm like, don't move, you know, don't make a sound, and I waited until they were done, and they left, because I didn't, at that time, I, I, God had already been dealing with them, I didn't want to hear it. I remember another time, my mom, and um, she, she uh, wasn't saved at that time, but she goes, you know, an old friend of mine, and she named her, her name was Ann Totten, I remember her, uh, my mom and her were good friends, and she kind of moved away. She said, she's coming to visit me tonight. I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, she said something about going to church and Jesus, and she wanted to come talk to me. And so I said, what time is she coming? Well, she's coming around 6, and about 5.30, I went and I found something else to do, okay? I just didn't want to hear it. But eventually, the gospel got to me. And uh, I know what the gospel can do, and I want to talk a little bit about that this evening. Because I believe that God can do anything in the life of an individual, regardless of if they've had some issues in their past, if they get saved and they allow God to work in their life. Think about some of the consequences surrounding your salvation if you didn't grow up in church. Think about where you came from. Think about what God did in some of our lives in here. And we all look nice and dressed up tonight, but I've been here long enough to know who some of you are. And I know where some of you came from. And uh, so we can sit here and look good, but God had to polish us up a little bit. And that's okay. God's in the polishing up business, right? And so uh, that's what we, we want to be a part of. Some of the great men of the faith of the past, God had to change different things about them. You know the story of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist who in the 1800s preached crusades in, in the cities throughout the United States and even in Europe where thousands upon thousands of people were being saved. He'd go into a city for weeks and have revival meetings every single night and people would be saved. He was not originally, that's what he wanted to do with his life. He was a young man that wanted to make a lot of money and that was his passion in life. And he went to live with his, his uncle in Boston. His uncle said, I have one requirement. You got to go to church. And he went to church. 
and a Sunday school teacher there got a burden for his soul. And the Sunday school teacher went to visit him at his work. And he got saved. And God changed him. And God used him in great and mighty ways. A name we may not be as familiar with is a, is a man named Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter was an alcoholic. And indirectly, because of his actions, uh, his child died. He was supposed to fulfill some responsibilities. The child was very sick, and instead of fulfilling his responsibilities, going out for medicine and so forth, he went out and got drunk and came home days later, and the baby had already passed away. He felt very bad about this and was very, uh, had a, he was very guilt-ridden and decided he was going to go down to Lake Michigan and, and kill himself. But on his way, he passed by the Pacific uh, Pacific Gardens Rescue Mission. By the way, I've been there. And they were having services for, for, for people in the streets that were struggling. And he went into that service and he was saved that night. And God changed his life and he spent the rest of his life going around the country starting rescue missions to, meet, to reach people that were in his state at one time. We all know of Billy Sunday, a baseball player. By the way, it was on a Sunday. They didn't used to play baseball on Sundays back then because it was a church day, the Lord's Day. And him and some players were just hanging out in Chicago. And they were just hanging out on a Sunday. They saw a guy trying to get people into the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission. And, and some of his buddies, ba other baseball players mocked and he went over there to find out what was going on. And he went into the service and he got saved. And a couple years later, he gave up baseball and became a great revivalist. We all love the song Amazing Grace. It was written by a man named John Newton. John Newton was a, a, a captain of a vote eventually, but he was a slave trader. And he was a very, very profane man. I've mentioned it many times. He said his stated goal in life was if somebody hung around for, for, for me for more than 20 minutes, that I corrupt them. That was his stated goal of life. Almost, there was, he was in a storm one night. It was a very violent storm, and it looked like the ship was going to go down, and he started to fear for his soul. He did have a God-fearing mother who died when he was a young boy. And so he had that in him, and God reached down and saved him. That's why when he wrote Amazing Grace, if you'll listen to the words, that's his life. There, I could go on and on and on. God has used people in the past who were people of just, just they were just laymen and people that were just having jobs. D.L. Moody preached a meeting one time, I believe it was in Ohio, and they needed a song later, and one of the churches provided a man. His name was Ira Sankey. He, was, he worked for the government. He had a good job. He made good money. And after the meeting, D.L. Moody, who didn't mince words, went up and said, you need to quit your job, and you need to come with me and be my song leader on my crusades. And Ira Sankey said, I'll pray about it. And he fought, he wrestled with it for six years. And he gave it up. And he followed D.L. Moody, and God used him in great ways as well. Now, those are all the, those stories, but think of us. Think of your life. We all have stories. Some of you, you had some issues of life you struggled with. There's people in here, there's families who were about to be blown apart, and they found the Lord, and God worked in their life. People that were on drugs, people that were, that were just, uh, you name it, and God reached down and touched them, and their lives are forever changed because that's the God that we serve. God wants to transform us. God, when God reaches down and gets a hold of someone whose life is a wreck or who has living on their own terms, the change that comes across them 
can be to those that knew them before, you know, they look at them and said, who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought? You would have been the last person I thought that you would have got your life together. Now, that's what they'll say. We know we're not getting our life together. God's doing it. Some people, it's just hard to believe what God does. Well, as we look at Acts chapter 9, we could preach on Acts chapter 9 over and over and over. And the fact of the matter is, I preached on this passage many times. There's so much in there. But it's the story of Saul who became Paul. And Saul was a very religious man. And Saul was, he was wrong in his beliefs. He was a religious leader and he had a zeal for it, but he was wrong. Very sincere, but sincerely wrong. And by the way, sincerity is not enough. If we're going to be sincere, we have to be sincere with the truth. And so Paul, or Saul, if I mention his name as Paul, bear with me because he's the same person. He is, he is going to, he's going to uh, persecute. He persecuted Christians. Look at Acts chapter, chapter 1, 8 verse 1, if you'll step back a chapter. He was there and among those who persecuted Stephen. Acts 8, 1, and Saul, and Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The, the, the church of Jerusalem grew, it just exploded. Some, some have estimated there may have been upwards of 100,000 people or so saved in part of, that a part of the church there. But persecution came in and scattered them, and they took the gospel wherever they went. But the fact of the matter is, Saul was on board and was right front and center in all of this persecution. But he went beyond that. If you're in Acts chapter 8, go down a couple verses, or to verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison simply because they were Christians. Therefore, verse 4, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. But as we get to chapter 9, we see that Saul has not changed. He, he is still on the prowl. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, those that were Christians, those that had the belief, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now we know the end of the story. We read it here. God intervenes. And Saul becomes a Christian and, God, and becomes Saul. And God changes him radically. Look at verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? By the way, Saul wasn't fighting against Christians. He was fighting against Jesus Christ. Christians just happened to represent Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he said, and, and, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. And so Saul is going to be drastically changed. It's not a small thing. It was so unbelievable that the believers there had a hard time even believing that it was true. Look at verse 10. And there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him and said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. 
And, he, and the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the street that is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. What God did is after he got saved, he goes, okay, God, God took away his sight and said, you're going to go and, and someone's going to heal you and you'll be back to normal. But look at how, look, okay, so you have to realize, God's speaking to him. And Saul was so well known as a spiritual terrorist, as it were, that Ananias is going to actually question the Lord. Verse 13. And Ananias answered, Lord, I, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And there he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. It's almost like he's saying, now, now, now God, can I just remind you of something? I've heard about this guy. This guy has authority to persecute Christians everywhere. Just wanted to make sure you knew that before I went to speak to him. Saul had a really bad reputation. And then the Lord says in verse 15, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, even when he started to preach, the, preach very soon after his uh, conversion, if you'll look down to verse 20 and 22, let's see how the believers there thought about him. And straight away he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. By the way, in the same place he was going to persecute Christians, now he's preaching for Christ. Verse 21, but all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name at Jerusalem and came thither for the intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? They were totally confused. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here this guy is preaching about Christ, and he came here for the, for the reason of, and they didn't use the terminology, of persecuting those who had trusted Christ. They were confused about it. By the way, I would have too, right? What would you think? You'd be thinking like, wait a minute, Saul, Saul is going undercover, right? To infiltrate the churches and to weed out Christians wherever he can. They had a hard time believing it. You know, the, the thing is this. People had a hard time believing that he was really saved. You know why? Because of the radical change that took place. He was no longer the same person he was when he was on his way there. But do you know why someone like Saul could be on his way to a city to persecute believers and in an instant be changed and go to that city to preach Christ? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's why. Because when you got saved, everything in your life is to become new. When we go out, if you've been saved for a while and you're trying to live for God and you're sharing the gospel with somebody, do you realize if they get saved, all things are become they can change. We can change. Now, what I want to do in the few minutes we have here is show you some areas where Paul became new for two reasons. Number one, it's areas where we should become new, and it's areas where the people we share the gospel with, where they can become new. And that ought to motivate us to get the gospel out to this world. 
We, did, we don't need new programs. We don't need new politicians, although it wouldn't hurt to have a few in there. But that's not going to change people's lives. It may allow them to eat at McDonald's and not have to pay $100, okay? But, but what really is going to change people is the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only hope for society. That's the only hope for an individual. We go out here and it's like, it just seems like everything is depressing. It just seems like everything's getting worse and worse and worse, just like the Bible said it would. Where's the hope? The hope's in Jesus Christ. It just seems like my life, I have no purpose, and I'm just going from this to this to this to this, and, and it doesn't seem like anything. What is it all about? It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything can become new. Let me give you a couple thoughts in the few minutes we have. First of all, he had a new life. If any man be, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. He had a new life. He's going to get a new name, Paul. That new name is going to be representing the fact that he's a completely new person. That's what the gospel does. Gospel changes our lives completely. You say, well, pastor, when we get saved, it changes our eternity. I know, but it doesn't stop there. It ought to change your everyday life. It ought to change everything about us for the good. Yeah, well, I forget the story, but one of the, in the, many, many years ago, one of the communists was talking to a, a Christian and said, you know, they pointed to a man that was struggling, obviously a street person that was struggling, and he looked at him and said, you know, communism can give that man new clothes. And the Christian said, Christianity can put a new man in those clothes. That's what we're looking for. He had a new life. You can have a new life. We don't have to settle for the sins of the past. By the way, sin by its very nature is addictive. So you got to be very careful. Say, how can we break free from those bonds of addiction? Jesus Christ. We can break free from the sin, not in our own power, but in his power. What about direction? Most people have no direction in life. The vast majority of people get up in the morning and they, they go to work and they're just trying to make it through the day and pay their bills and, and have some semblance of joy in their lives. But with Jesus Christ, that direction is all changed. Some people suffer from misery of things that have happened in the past. You don't have to suffer with that misery anymore. And by the way, let me say this. Once you get saved, Satan will do everything you, he can to keep you from going forward. He will condemn you. He'll even try to condemn you for your past. But Romans 8.1 reminds us, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are Christ Jesus. Jesus comes your way and says, hey, look at the person you used to be. It's like, you're right, that was a sinful person. But I am a new creature now. I'm not chained to the past. I'm not chained to what I used to be. And I know sometimes we have to deal with the, the baggage of what happened in the past. But I can tell you this, regardless of what you're dealing with, if you go forward with Christ, it's easier to deal with. And you'll deal with it much better than if you do it on your own. We can have a new life. He'll try to guilt you, your past sins. You see, look, guilt is not of God. Conviction is of God. What's the difference between guilt and conviction? Satan guilts us to make us keep going in the life that we're living. God convicts us so we can get over what we're doing. He also had a new Lord. Verse 5. And he said, it must have, been, must have sounded weird coming out of his mouth, Who art thou, Lord? I mean, he knew something new was here. He knew something better than what he had was here. He had a new Lord. Lord. 
The Lord Jesus Christ. Up until that time, he was a very religious Jew. And he didn't accept Christ as, his, as the Messiah and persecuted those who did. But now as he meets him on the road to Damascus, he's going to realize, hey, he is the Lord. What I was doing in the past wasn't right. I have a new Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. You know why we follow the wrong things? Because we have the wrong Lord. Now, in our society, and in our life, why do people live for the wrong things? Because they have the wrong Lord. Now, I don't, and I don't even think necessarily in our society as we become more and more secular, we're not even following a false spiritual Lord, although that can happen. By the way, just because something says it's a church, we need to check the doctrine and we need to check the beliefs. Okay? Because not every, every church believes the right thing. But the majority of the problems in our country aren't because people are following the wrong religion. That might have been true 100 years ago. We have replaced God with other things. Right? You know what an idol is? An idol, it's a, it's a piece of stone that represents a God. Yeah, that, yeah, that can be true. But it's also anything that you place above the true God. And most people don't want to hear about the true God because they have this little false God that they're living for. All kinds of false gods. And if they prop cop into our life, they can dominate our life. We have, by the way, our society has a lot of gods, right? Sports is a god. Playing, and by the way, I like sports. I kind of like the, you know, I like the competition. I like the dedication. I like getting after it. I enjoyed the tournament except for the fact that not all of our teams won. By the way, our, our boys won. How many years has it been? Like four? It's been four years coming. We got there. The girls this year, they did great. They finished third. But the team that won was really good this year. So uh, next year we'll make sure we take out their, their best player or something. I don't know. But, they, but you know what? I like watching the competition. I like watching the kids get out there. You know, it irritates me. This is, has nothing to do with it just I just don't like when a team gets out there and you can tell by the two they're not even practicing. It's like, man, if we're going to have a sports team, you know what we're going to do? They're gonna, we're going to teach them, be dedicated, do it, do your job. But sports can't be a God. And to too many people, it is. The most important thing for them is did their team win or not? Okay? I like sports and I like certain teams. If they lose, it's like, oh, well, I, I'm over it now. Okay? They did their best and someone cheated and they're gone. But sports is a God. The same person that says, I could never get up for church on Sunday will go three hours early for a game and tailgate. Oh, you really want me to get on you? Like, I can't make, pastor, 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 pastor. I cannot possibly get to Sunday school by 9.30, but you can hit a seven o'clock tea time, right? You know, your friend says, hey, let's go fishing. I know that, I'm not a great fisherman, but I know this, the earlier you go, the better. Yeah, hey, let's go fishing, man. With the, the fish are out at six in the morning. They'll be knocking at your door at five fifty-five. Are you ready? Anyhow, back to the schedule message. Hobbies sometimes can be our god. By the way, I'm not against any of it. Okay, it, 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 but if that is, if that takes priority in your life, something is wrong. Politics in our society has become a huge god. And, and I'm not, look, I'm not saying we stick our heads. We live in a country, thankfully, where we're allowed to vote, right? And we should take advantage of that. There's countries that can't. But it amazes me how we whine about things that 
are put into place by the people that are constantly keep getting voted in? Why are we voting for them? And, and, and look, I, I'm not talking about taxes. I don't like taxes, but, but let, let me say, along with politics, morality has become a God. Yep, sure has. We look at life from, you know, uh, I vote pro-choice. I got seriously quiet there. I believe it's a woman's right to choose. That's your whole viewpoint on life? That's your God? Murdering unborn children? I believe in a lady's choice. She can choose to get pregnant or not. Once she's chosen to get pregnant, choice has been made. But, you know, transgenderism and you name it, that's, that's, that's seems to be our society's mantra. We're living our whole lives. You say, oh, pastor, I like the things you, entertainment's a God. We know more about Taylor Swift than we know Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. I just like to throw her name out there. She keeps showing up at football games. I remember one time, and I was kidding, we were at youth conference many, many years ago, many years ago. Um, and, I, and, and some of the kids were in my car. I brought them up, and we were going back to the hotel. And they were talking about um, the old kung fu fighting game, Brother Ross. Street Fighter. They were, you know, I remember Street Fighter. I'd be visiting the teenagers at that time, you know. I'd go to their house, and they're playing Street Fighter. And I didn't know how to play, but I'd grab the little joystick thing, and just like, if you just spin and push buttons, something good's going to happen, right? Occasionally, I'd get this laser knockout and say, hey, oh, we were playing soccer that one time. I got a goal from half court, Mark. I didn't know what I was doing. I just pushed a button. And I remember they're talking about that game, and they're talking about, about the, the, the different characters in the game, and they're talking about their lives, like, you know, this person grew up in, in Shanghai and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's a video game. And after like four minutes of that, by the way, Chanta was one of them. Sorry, Chanta. After about four minutes of them knowing the back story of every character in Street Fighter, I said, hey, guys, if you knew that much about the Bible, you'd probably be the greatest missionary our world ever saw. And it got silent. And then after a minute, Chanta said, Ouch. Okay. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but unless you're living in your parents' basement and you're 47 playing video games. Um, but I, I'm just saying, be very careful because it is so easy for us who are even saved to let things get into our life and it's everything in our life. But it's amazing when a person gets saved and it's like, you know what? That stuff that was important in my life, it's not as important as it used to be. God can change us. He had a new desire. Look at verse 6. I'll hustle through these last couple. Verse 6, he said, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Now think about that. He already had his own plan. He, already, he was already executing his plan. He knew what he was doing. And yet when he met Christ, he said, Okay, that, we're, we're scrubbing that. Lord, what do you want? I mean, right after salvation, it's like, Lord, what do you have for me? Isn't that good? Shouldn't that be all of us? Shouldn't it be after we get saved, we're like, okay, Lord, I may have had my own plan. I may have had my own, you know, I have everything mapped out. But Lord, what do you really want for my life? God doesn't force his will on us. God wants us to want his will. And I'm not saying we go through life, you know, haphazard, like, okay, I'll just, okay, sirrah, sirrah. No, I'm not saying that. 
But as we're going along trying to figure out what God wants, uh, trying to figure out what we're supposed to be doing, who God wants us to be with, uh, uh, who, let's not just make our own plan. Why don't we find, God, what, did you, what do you want me to do? Now, we understand that anything that the Bible tells us is what God wants us to do. We understand that, right? That's, that's, that's a non-negotiable right there. But structured within that, there are certain specific things that will apply to you. And you ought to want those things, but God won't force those things on us. We have to want those things. And Paul's desire completely changed. It wasn't about what he wanted. It was about, Lord, now I have a new desire. What do you want in my life? Now, let me ask you this. What is your desire? Some of these men I mentioned here, uh, uh, some of the great Christians of the past, they had their own desires. We sometimes think that, you know, these men had to be men who were, who were, who were in the gutter or whatever, but, but some of them were just successful in the world's eyes. But they still said, Lord, what do you want? You don't have to necessarily be sinful. And sometimes what we do is we settle for something when God says, you know, I had something else for you. But do we really want and desire what God wants? That ought to just be the first thing in our, in our, in our lives. And I, one thing I definitely know we all need to desire is spirituality. That's just a given. God changes our desires once we get saved. I didn't even own a Bible, okay? I didn't even know what kind of Bible to get. But once I found out and I got one, I wanted to read it. I wanted to get to know it. I wanted, I wanted it just to be a part of my life. And I still do. Let me ask you, is that your desire? Do you really want to know God's word? And you can go on and on and on. We've been talking a lot about church. Do we enjoy going to church? Is that our desire? Do we really want to be close to God? And it, the next one goes with it. Look, at, go look back at but Acts chapter number 2, uh, Acts 9-2. He says, and desired of him letters to Damascus to go to the synagogues. Why? Because he, the letters were basically authority to go do this, an order to be able to go do something. God says, I got new orders for you. We're willing to follow what God has for us. And then here's a really good one, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of tie it up here. He had a new friend. Look at verse 9, uh, 10. By the way, imagine how hard it must have been for him. Could you imagine Go into one of those meetings and you just, you're, here you are, Saul, and you just walk in. Can, can you imagine that? Like, hey, you know that guy is right there? Okay, that's, that's the guy. Okay, remember Stephen? That's the reason he's no longer here. They probably all had somebody they knew who was put in jail. And they looked at him. You know, we're pretty, we're pretty friendly here, right? Anybody that comes in, we're open to him. Could you imagine that? Someone walks into our church and says, oh, that guy? Yeah, he's the guy that had 40 Christians killed a couple weeks ago. He's the one that had that church put in jail. Could you imagine that? And yet, God worked it out for him. He used Ananias. And he said, you need to go help him. And then he was brought to the other believers. And like, hey, this is Saul. He's one of us now. You know, the easiest place for someone to connect ought to be church. And, and the thing we need to do, and I don't want you to take this in a negative way, because if I had friends before I was a Christian, and, and, and I knew I could not hang around with them, but I still cared about them. And so if I was with them, I was with them in a church sense, or I was with them with other Christians, because I didn't want to 
be in that situation where, hey, we're going to go do this tonight. Like, I ain't doing that. But to be honest with you, what I also needed, I needed new Christian friends. That was very important. You understand that friends influence us. And so let's make sure if we're going to be different, we're going to have friends. You know, a spiritual friend is going to naturally push you into a spiritual direction. And by the way, be a spiritual friend. Help people to get to where they need to be. Do spiritual things together. But an unspiritual friend, and they just don't know better sometimes. What are they going to do? They're, you know, if I went to my old friend's house, they're not going to say, hey, why don't we go to, to church tomorrow, Steve? No, I'm the one that had to say that. Why don't you come with me to church? But you got to be very careful. Get someone who encourages you to do the right things. We can't just say, I'll go to church, and I don't need any Christian friends. Because we all need friends, and we need people that we can connect together with, and we have something more in common than, than some of these things that we like. We have the Lord in common. We have the gospel in common. By the way, our world, that they need people that will care for them on a spiritual level. Not the world's kind of friendship that says, hey, as long as you're good with me, I'm good with you. We need someone that says, I'm here for you, good, bad, and different. New friends. Friends challenge us to do the right thing. I'm so thankful, and I mentioned a little this morning, I got some friends that helped me. I got some friends in church that, that now it's like, hey, the things I want to do, go to prayer meeting and, and go soul winning and be on a bus route and serve the Lord, they were right there front and center with me. And I'm very thankful for that. And then I'll give you one more. Verse 17, he had a new family. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, two words no one would ever thought they would have heard from a Christian to Saul in forever. Brother Saul. You know, it's one of those things you say it and it's kind of like, okay. <clears throat> Brother Saul. How can, he, how can he accept him so freely? Because he's saved. Right? Can I just say the easiest place to, to, to become a part of ought to be church. Right? And by the way, let me just say this. Let me throw this out here. Uh, on Sunday mornings when we have new people here, don't call them brother. They may not be saved. Here's a brand new person that comes to church. They've never been to church in their life. It's like, thanks for coming, brother. And they're like, we're not related. We're like not even the same nationality. They don't get that, right? Don't use spiritual lingo about brand new people. Okay? What's your name? Call them by their name. I remember, I didn't know any better. Brother Tua, I'm sitting there, and our assistant pastor, Brother Sisson, I called him Dave. And they all called him Brother Sisson. It was a respect thing. I'm like, hey, Dave, you want to go play basketball? And I remember one time I was walking by, one of the Navy guys said, no, 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 it, Ryan, it was, it was Nick. My son-in-law's dad, he goes, you call him Dave? I'm like, it's his name. He goes, no, no, around here, we, out of respect, we call him Brother Sisson. Like, I didn't know that. That was Dave, right? And so I'm like, so I call him Brother Sisson. But the thing is this, we are a family. We ought to treat each other like that. And when you get saved, you get this new group. It's called the church. Here's the point of the message. Two things. Number one, when you got saved, you got everything new. Now, let me ask you this. Have you appropriated that in your life? Can you look at your life and say, you know what? Not that you're perfect, but are there a lot of new things coming in? 
Man, I was so excited those first, it's like, man, all this stuff that I didn't used to do and, how, and now it's all new and I was so excited about it. I'm still excited about it. But, but it was really exciting in the beginning because that stuff was just like, what's going on here? I wanted the new. And then secondly, do you understand what we can do to help somebody who's struggling in life? Somebody who's, who, who's looking at this life and, and I look at what's going on in our society and in our world and I get confused. Like, what's going on? But I know the Bible. So I understand the whole thing here. But it's okay. Because my hope's not in that. My hope's in this. But there's a lot of people, they don't have that hope. Why don't we take it to them? You say, how does it start? Do we have to go tell? No. Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because when they meet him, if they really meet him, he'll do great things in their life. And we can be here to help. A new life. Let's stand together if we may. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes just for a minute. Sometimes we, we skim over the stories of the Bible so quickly we don't, get the, we don't get the magnitude of what's going on. Okay, you know, we learned it in Sunday school. He was on the Damascus Road and he saw the light and he got saved. Do you understand what that really meant? Do you understand who he was? Do you understand what he was doing? And I'm talking about that close, that, that quick. I'm talking about the same city he went to to persecute Christians. Just a little bit later, he's now preaching the gospel there. Do we understand how transformative that is? Because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. Let's look at our lives tonight. Is it new? Maybe, maybe we're lagging in some of these areas. Pastor, I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. And by the way, it comes in steps. Don't get discouraged. Don't, I'm not dumping on you. I'm not. It took me a while. And after a while of coming to church and learning the Bible, then, then I, started, I started volunteering and working and then going out soul winning and then all these different things because my life was new. What about your life? And then secondly, are you willing to take that, that life-changing message to this world? It starts here. Maybe God's calling some of you. You could be someone who, who, who starts a church and goes out on the mission field and does something for God and you do it on a full-time level and maybe you've been fighting it because you still have your own plan. Don't fight that. Don't fight that. I'm not against any job in this world, but I'll tell you what, that's a great calling. God speak to you tonight. Piano's gonna play. If God spoke to you, why don't you come? Why don't we come? We have a great opportunity. Let's take advantage of it. And by the way, you're doing it. You're doing it. There's new people here all the time. They have the opportunity for that new life in Christ.